Welcome to another inspirational teaching by Pastor Mike Foreman, Senior Pastor of the First Baptist Church of Level Plains. For more information about Pastor Mike and the church, please visit our website at www.fbclp.life. Let's join Pastor Mike now as he shares from God's Word. Well, if you want to take your copy while the choir is going down or the worship team is going down, find uh, in your Bibles Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Well, I want to talk to you today about the reality of the resurrection. You know, ever since the time that Jesus died and rose again, there have been many who have tried to do away with the reality of his resurrection. As a matter of fact, every year around this time, you have a group of liberal scholars who are called the Jesus Seminar that meet together and they begin to look at the life of Jesus in the Bible and they begin to dissect the word of God and try to determine, did Jesus really say this or did, re- did Jesus really do this miracle? And, and they begin to try to do away with the, the heuristicity of Jesus himself. Isn't that sad? Uh, and they call themselves the Jesus Seminar. Uh, they think that they're smart because they got, you know, PhDs at the end of their names and all that means is piled higher and deeper, you know? And so, uh, you know, that's uh, unfortunately, you know, if you have a PhD, I'm sorry I offended you. I wasn't trying to do that today. But, you know, when you begin to look at the reality of the resurrection as the apostle Peter begins to preach, you, and, and all of us maybe may not remember Peter, but Peter was the guy who was sort of the spokesman for the disciples. You know, every time you, you see the disciples really saying something, it's really, you know, Peter up front. And Peter had this disease it was called this uh, foot and mouth disease. And every time that, you know, the disciples would say something, it would really be him really standing up for the group. And, and he was one of these guys, he just brash and bold and, and he would just spit the words out. And then after he did, he would sort of regret, you know, that maybe I shouldn't have said that. So Peter's also this guy. You remember that if you read the gospel accounts, Jesus is talking about dying. And in the midst of talking about dying, Peter sort of stops and says, Listen, not going to happen. And if, and if I got to die with you, then I'm going to die with you. But, but it's not going to happen. You got me, buddy. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to be here for you. It's not going to happen. But even if it is, man, I'll die right beside you. Well, then come that faithful night. <laughs> Jesus is arrested in the garden and uh, all the disciples scatter. I mean, there's nobody. They, they just leave him. And even Peter, the Bible gives us this hint that Peter sort of follows behind, you know, but a good distance behind. And, and he's sort of watching in on the trial, the mock trials of Jesus. And he's, he's warming himself by the fire. And as he's warming himself by the fire, he begins to be pointed out. Hey, you're, you're one of them. Uh, no, 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 no. I, I, don't, I don't know this Jesus guy. I don't know what you're talking about, you know. Uh, later on, it happens again. You, you're one of them certainly we can tell you're one of them because your speech, that is your, the way that you talk, we can tell you're from the South. And uh, we know you're, you're one of them. You're, you're one of those people that, that follow Jesus. And so there is this communication. The third time, the Bible says that he even got so angry, he began to cuss. Think about that. Here's a guy who said, I'm going to die with you, now cussing that he doesn't even know Jesus. And so... What happens to this guy? Well, Jesus is crucified. He's buried in the grave. 
And the Bible says that when Peter denied him the third time and heard the rooster crow, he went out and he wept bitterly. But can you imagine, you can go out and you can weep bitterly, but how do you really make it right with Jesus? He's, he's not here anymore. I, I said that I would die with him. I said I would hang in there with him. And now I've denied him and I've even cursed him. And now he's dead. He's buried. How do you make it right with somebody who's dead? I don't know. That's tough, isn't it? So what we find is, though, that in three days, Jesus is alive. And, and, and Peter gets to have breakfast with him. And while he's having breakfast with Jesus, Jesus does something wonderful. Jesus restores him. Jesus said, Peter, do you follow me? Do you love me? Yes, yes, Lord, I love you. Peter, do, do you agape me? Yes, Lord, I, I love you. I really do love you. Peter, do you phileo me? Do you really love me as a brother? Yes, Lord, you know all things. You know I love you. There is this restoration. Peter is commanded, right? Then feed my sheep. Be a leader. You have always been a leader. Now it's time for you to take up the reins and, and be a spiritual leader. And so they get to spend these 40 days with Jesus and the ascension comes. Jesus is lifted up to glory. And now Peter has to stand in the gap and be the leader that Jesus has called him to be. And in Acts chapter two, what we find is the first sermon that is ever preached on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so Peter stands up with this great boldness and he begins to preach full of the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, because the Spirit of God just came down and what really precipitated this preaching engagement was that the, the people in the city, they, they heard this strange noise. And, and then they began to hear the truth of the gospel that Jesus died for their sin and was buried and rose again. They began to hear that gospel message in their ears, in their own language. And they're mesmerized. And they say, some say, hey, those guys are drunk. It's nine o'clock in the morning, folks. And they said they're drunk. And so Peter has to stand up and Peter begins to say, hey guys, we're not drunk. We're just having the fulfillment of the Old Testament promise given to us. The Holy Spirit has come as God said he would come. And it all centers around the work of what Jesus has done on the cross of Calvary. And the fact that he is no longer in the grave. As a matter of fact, I'm going to submit to you this morning, ladies and gentlemen, listen, if Jesus Christ is not alive, if there did not really happen, then we are wasting our time this morning. We could have slept in, went to IHOP and enjoyed breakfast and go off and go fishing or enjoy the beach for the day. It's beautiful outside. Don't get any ideas while I'm preaching. <laughs> So when we begin to think about the reality, listen to as, the, as Peter stands up and he begins to preach. And I'm going to just break it down this way because there's a lot of verses here. But I want to break it down this way. We're going to, we're going to look at, first of all, the life of Jesus. So if you would, look at in, look in Acts chapter 2. And we don't have time to go through the beginning of the chapter, but you can read that when you get home. But listen to verse 22 as he talks about the life of Jesus. He said, men of Israel, hear these words, Jesus of Nazareth. 
A man attested by God to you by miracles and wonders and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. The first thing I want you to realize is that Jesus himself was a real person. Jesus walked in a real place called Jerusalem. He was from a real town. A town that everybody despised, by the way. A town that not everybody liked. That place called Nazareth. That's what he says. He is, Jesus was a man. First of all, think about that. Jesus left heaven to come to earth to live in a body like you and I. You know, we play these little games, you know. Well, did baby Jesus have a belly button? Well, yes, he did. Because why? He was born of the Virgin Mary. And how's the baby fed? Through the, belly, or through the umbilical cord, a belly button, right? Did Jesus go to the bathroom? You betcha he went to the bathroom. Why? Because don't you go to the bathroom? Not why I'm preaching this morning, but I'm just kidding. Jesus was humanity. He was God in flesh. He was real, ladies and gentlemen. And the people... As, as Peter is preaching, he's saying to them, Jesus, this man was from Nazareth. We know his hometown. We know he was a carpenter. He was a carpenter's son. We know that he grew up in a home. <laughs> we know he had family. Although some don't believe he had family, but he had family. The Bible attests to the fact that he had brothers and sisters, even have the name of some of them in the Bible. And so Jesus was this real man who lived in a real place at a real time and walked on this earth as God in the flesh. So he was a real man, but listen, he was different than us. How so? Well, he was very much like us in the fact that he was flesh, that that he did what human beings do on a daily basis, sleep, eat, go to the bathroom, talk, fellowship, hug, laugh. He did all those things, yet... He's different. Notice how Peter says that in his message to us. He says, men of Israel, hear the words, Jesus of Nazareth, a man. Then he says this, here's the difference, attested by God to you by miracles and wonders and signs which God did through him in your midst. Notice what he says about him. He is like us in that he's humanity. He's unlike us in that God has approved of him. That word approved means that God placed him in a specific office. And the specific office that God placed him in is the Messiahship. He is the Messiah. He is, Peter is telling the guys, he's, listen, Israel, Jesus was a real man. He was God in the flesh. But let me tell you something. He didn't come just to be a man that you can adore, a man that you can follow after. He came to be your savior. He is the Messiah. He is the one appointed by God, approved by God. Not just the fact that he was sinless was he approved by God, but God, before he even created the world, set into motion the plan that Jesus would come and be Messiah. And notice as we have proof that he's the Messiah, how so? Through the wonders and the signs and the miracles that Jesus did. Jesus wasn't here to be a miracle worker, but he did miracles to show that he was God in flesh. The signs and the wonders and the things that he did were demonstrations of what God was doing through him. How do we know this? Well, the Hebrew writer, listen to what he says in Hebrews 2. We'll put all the verses on the screen, by the way. He says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? 
which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. Here it is, verse 4, God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders and with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. Jesus was appointed and approved by God to be your Savior. Isn't that good news today? That God would love us enough that he would send Jesus Christ in the flesh to be like us, yet different than us, so that he could be the Savior of mankind. That is, that is astounding to me. But so that we get the reality that Jesus really did live on this planet, I want you to listen to what he says at the end of verse 24, or verse 22 rather. Listen to what he says. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man, attested by God to you by miracles, signs, which God did through him in your midst. Now there's important. In your midst, as you yourselves also know. Here's Peter talking to a group of people and he's saying to them, listen, you know as well as I do, folks, that Jesus was real, that Jesus was the Messiah because you saw the very things that I saw. The very miracles that Jesus did, turning water into wine at that wedding, all those people that saw that, guess what? That was a testament to the fact that Jesus was the Messiah, the King of Israel. When Jesus raised Lazarus, all those people who were standing there weeping and mourning with Mary and Martha, when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, they had a testament that Jesus Christ is the Messiah because he raised someone from the dead. So all the miracles and the signs and the wonders that Jesus did, he didn't do them in a back room of saloon. He didn't do them in the back doors of the church. He did it in public. He did it outside where everybody can see it. He did it in demonstration of the fact that he was indeed the Messiah, offering them new life through him. Amen. And that's what eternal life is, by the way. It's Jesus Christ. Not a philosophy, not a way, not a religion. It's Jesus Christ and he alone. And so Jesus comes and he stands and he gives his testament through the miracles and the signs and the wonders that he does. And everybody gets to see full well what he's like and who he is. And they cannot turn back time and try to change the fact that he was real because he's very real. Peter says he's a man attested by God and listen, seen by people, seen by people. He was real. Just as real as you're sitting here, he was real. You're saying, why does it matter? Because listen, the gospel, according to what Paul will teach us in the gospel in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, if Jesus never existed in human flesh, then we don't have a savior. If he never existed as a real person on this planet, then we're lost in our sin and we're bound for hell. We have no hope. But thank God he was real. Thank God he did come and was approved by God and placed in the office as the Messiah. But Jesus didn't come just to live. You know, Jesus' mission was to come and die. Did you know that? He was born to die and die for us. Indeed, he did. Notice how Peter begins in verse 23 and he makes that transition. He says, him being delivered up, he says, by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken by lawless hands, he says, and have crucified and put him to death. I want you to notice that what he says in verse 23 is some key statements, some key important elements that we need to understand. First of all, Jesus Christ died on the cross of Calvary, not at the hands of of humanity, but at the hands of the Father. Did you catch what he said? 
Notice again, listen, underline in your Bible. Listen to what he says. And him being delivered, being given up, the Bible says, by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. It was God's plan. By the way, plan A. I said that Friday night, I'll say it again. It was God's plan A that the Lord Jesus Christ go to the cross of Calvary. And listen, that plan was set in the motion, listen, by the predetermined purpose. What was God's purpose? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. What was God's purpose? To send his son into the world that through his son people may be saved. That was his purpose. And when was God's purpose determined? It was determined, it says, by the foreknowledge of God. The foreknowledge of God means that it wasn't an afterthought. It was a beforethought. What it means is that God, before he even created the earth, before he created you, before he created Adam, before he fashioned the earth, before he put the stars in the space and the sun and the moon in the, in, the, in the sky. Listen, God had already determined, even then, to send forth his son into the world at the right time to die on the cross of Calvary for your sin and my sin. Listen, it was not the afterthought of God. It was on God's mind the whole time. And I don't know how long eternity is, but it's a long time, they tell me. I'm looking forward to one day I'm going to taste that reality of eternity. But that's how long it's been on God's mind. Listen, the cross was not man's idea. It wasn't like Peter and the rest of the disciples got together and said, let's see if we can get Jesus crucified and we'll start this religion. Won't that be an awesome religion to start? Who would volunteer to be the first one? <laughs> Let me just slaughter you. We'll see if we can start a new religion. That's not what it's about. Amen? The Lord Jesus Christ, by God's plan, by God's purpose, went to the cross of Calvary to die for the sin of mankind, your sin and my sin. Why? Because we're held under the guilt of sin, that wage of sin. That is that the wage of that sin is death, separation from God for all of eternity. And listen, there is nothing you nor I can do to fix that problem, to cure us of that disease, to remedy our problem. Only Jesus Christ's death on the cross is sufficient sacrifice for God. And that's why God sent Jesus. Do you realize that God was the offended party? Do you realize that we sinned against God and yet God made a way for us to have a relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ? Isn't that not amazing? We get offended and we push people away. God gets offended and he brings them back. But he only brings them back by the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. Sacrificing his own son. By his predetermined purpose and plan. Not a mistake. Not plan B. Wow. Why would he do that? Why would he do that? Well, I've already said because God loves us. But that's not all that Peter says in verse 20. It's packed. Look at verse 23 again. So we got this predetermined purpose of God. It was God's doing that Jesus died on the cross for your sin and my sin. That's the love of God toward us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But listen, God's plan included sinful people. Notice the text. And him being delivered up by the predetermined purpose and foreknowledge of God, you have taken, he says. He's talking to the crowd of people. He's saying, you guys were involved. You took him by lawless hands. What's that? The Roman government. You took him by the Roman government and have crucified him and put him to death. So listen, just because God had that predetermined plan doesn't mean he can't use the instruments of people because that's exactly what he did. The wickedness of those sinful Israelites, the wickedness of those Romans, he used in a mighty way to nail his son to the cross. That was the plan all along that he would use those people 
and nailed Jesus there. You know what that tells me? That tells me that, listen, God's plan is to redeem us. But listen, God allowed the wickedness of the people around Jesus to be the instrument of that. Why? Because it was necessary for him to die. It was necessary for his blood to be shed in order to redeem us to himself. What good news it is. And again, all because God is motivated by his love toward us. How powerful. That's the life and the death of Jesus. But it is Resurrection Sunday, so we got to spend some time on the resurrection. And it's interesting to me that if you read the book of Acts and you begin to read verses 22 through verse 41, really in the full context of the chapter, you begin to read that. The apostle Peter, he uses two verses to talk about, really one verse to talk about the life and the death of Jesus. But he uses nine verses <coughs> Excuse me. He uses nine verses to talk about the resurrection. Does that let you know it's important? Amen. I like what R.A. Torrey said. R.A. Torrey said about that. Listen to what he says. He said, the crucifixion loses its meaning without the resurrection. He said, without the resurrection, the death of Christ was only the heroic death of a noble martyr. That's so true. With the resurrection, it is the atoning death of the Son of God. Amen. Jesus Christ had to come forth from the grave alive. And let me tell you something, folks. Again, ever since the soldiers that were guarding that tomb on that Sunday morning, ever since they reported that his body was gone, the lie has been propagated that the disciples took the body of Jesus. That's one of the theories. There's this other theory that's out there that says, well, Jesus didn't really die. See, he was on this cross and and even though he had these nails in his hands and his feet, and even though he had this crown of thorns on his head, and even though they took that spear and pierced him through his side and probably puncturing the heart and letting the water and the blow flow out, he didn't really die there. He just sort of was, you know, incapacitated. He sort of, you know, fell asleep in a deep sleep, coma-type state. And it just so happened that the coolness of the, of the tomb, it sort of stimulated him, and he woke up, and, and he was able to get up and walk out of the grave. Well, let me tell you, first of all, that's a tough dude. Amen? That'd be a tough person. But second of all, that wasn't God's plan. God's plan that he be dead, dead. The wages of sin is death. If he's going to bear your sin in his own flesh on the cross of Calvary, he had to die, die. And if he didn't die, die, guess what? Then you're lost in your sins. There's no hope for you to be saved. And so it wasn't this twin theory. It wasn't this conspiracy. You know, it wasn't, and then they say, some of them say, well, it was a hallucination. <laughs> Paul reminds us, he said, no, there was 500 people at one time saw him. How do 500 people at one time hallucinate? I guess it's possible it would stock, but I don't know if it's possible in reality. You know what I'm saying? Some of y'all are listening. That's good. Listen to what Paul says and reminds us of the validity of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But listen, more so than the validity of it is the necessity. Amen. It is necessary that Jesus be alive. Listen to what he says. 1 Corinthians 15 verses 1 through 4. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel. What is the gospel that I preach to you? which also you received in which you stand in which you are also saved. If you hold fast the word, which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain for I delivered to you. First of all, that which I received, here's the gospel that Christ died for our sins. According to the scriptures that he was buried and that he rose again on the third day, according to the scriptures. Notice that when Peter begins to talk about the resurrection, Peter talks about it as a reality. 
There is no debate. And by the way, if you read the history of church, you read all about the backdrop of church. There is no arguing the fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ till some 1,200 and some years later. It wasn't that when liberalism began to rise and people began to question the Bible, and really ultimately behind that is Satan himself trying to destroy the validity of Scripture and the validity of Jesus' death and resurrection. But up until that point, people believed in a resurrection. They never questioned. None of the disciples ever said, do you think that really happened? Do you really think that Jesus really came to life? No, they touched him. They ate with him. They hugged him. They walked with him for 40 days before he ascended. They knew he was very much alive. Amen? And so he says to us, it's important. So as you read verses 24 to 31, I want you to read them when you get home. I don't have time to read all the verses. I want to read verse 24. Listen to what he says. He says, whom God raised up, having loosened the pains of death. Listen, death had him ensnared. Death had Jesus by the throat, but death didn't win. (laughs) Death lost that day. Listen to what it says. And when God raised him up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that he should be held by it. And he goes on, he talks about David in the Psalms and how David was this prophet really writing about the resurrection of the Messiah, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we don't have really time to deal with that very much into the text, but I want you to just flip down and I want you to scroll down in your Bible and I want you to see, verse verse 32, and he says, and this Jesus God has raised up of which we are all witnesses. So the resurrection is a reality. Jesus rose from the dead in bodily form. That is, just like when he was in bodily form before he died, he came out in bodily form. Save a little different, right? Now he has this glorified body. Now he has this ability to just show up in a room and disappear. He, he can walk on the road of Emmaus with two guys, and when they begin to break bread together and they realize it's Jesus, he just vanishes. He's gone. But yet, <clears throat> he eats breakfast. Yet they touched him. They could put their hand in his side. It's amazing to me. I don't quite understand it all. But I can tell you, and I can assure you this, it's a reality. And I can tell you it's a reality because listen to what verse 24 says, that it was impossible that the grave should hold him. Why is it impossible? Well, let me just remind you of three things why it's impossible. First of all, because of his divine power. Jesus is God. Listen, he is life. Jesus told Martha, you remember when they were whining and crying about Lazarus' death, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. That is, not only do I raise people from the dead, but I am the life giver. I have life within myself. You cannot snuff out the life of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Death tried, death lost. And so by the power of Jesus Christ, he rose from the dead. Listen to John eleven twenty five. 25. He says, I am the resurrection of life. He who believes in me, though he may die, yet shall he live. John 10, 17 through 18, he says, Therefore, my father loves me because here it is. I lay down my life that I may take it again. Listen, God raised him up, but Jesus raised himself up, right? That's what he said. He raises himself up. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of myself. I have the power to lay it down. I have the power to take it up again, he says. This command I have received from my father. We have the power of Jesus Christ. Death could not hold him because of his power. Hallelujah. That he, and listen, that power is available to us. Listen, the second thing is he could not hold him in the grave because of his divine promise. Jesus made a promise. You know, when God makes a promise, he's got to keep it, right? Jesus made a promise. 
Jesus testifies of his own death and his resurrection. And when he talks about that in John chapter 2, verse 18 to 22, listen to what he says. So the Jews answered and said to him, what sign will you show us since you do all these things? They wanted to know, how is it that you think you're the Messiah? How is it that you think you are the Lord? Well, tell us, how is it? He said, well, he said, you do these things. And Jesus answered and said to them, destroy this temple, pointing to his body. Destroy this temple in three days, I'll raise it up. Then the Jews said, it has taken 46 years to build a temple. They got it totally wrong. They didn't realize he was talking about his flesh. They thought they were talking about a building. He said, it's taken 46 years to build this temple, and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. Therefore, when he had risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this to them, and they believed the scripture and the words which Jesus said. If Jesus is in his grave, then he's a liar. And guess what? We're all liars. We might as well go home. We might as well throw our Bibles in a burn pile and burn them up. I tell you, folks, the third thing is this, because of divine purpose. I'm glad for the divine power and the divine promise. But listen, the divine purpose includes us. Aren't you glad that Jesus rose from the dead Paul would remind us in 1 Corinthians 15, if you go back and read the whole chapter about the resurrection, he reminds us that the resurrection itself confirms our message. The message that I preached this morning, it confirms the fact that Jesus did die, that he did indeed die for my sin, that he died for the sin that I deserve to die for, that he would bear my iniquity in his own body on the cross. But hallelujah, not only did he die for that, but on the third day he rose from the dead. And I can firmly preach and with confidence preach to you this morning, Jesus is alive and he's your savior. Amen. Amen. Confidently, because he rose from the dead. And if he didn't come alive, then why preach? Why preach? But not only this, listen, Paul goes on and says it confirms the fact that we are indeed cleansed. If Jesus is in the grave, then we're still lost in our sins and we're hopeless. But indeed, he's alive. And indeed, our sins are forgiven and washed away by the atonement of Jesus. But there's a very practical reason Paul gives. And this practical reason really touches my heart today. As I was praying with my oldest son on the phone yesterday, he's praying about a friend of his who's lost his mom just this past week. And I thought, you know, the hope of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the hope that I have that all those who die in Christ shall rise again. Amen? To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. We realize that. But these old bodies that we will bury in the ground, praise God, one day they're going to be resurrected out of the ground. And we're going to be reunited with our soul and our spirit. We're going to be reunited with that flesh. And it's going to be a glorified flesh and we're going to be in heaven for eternity. And listen, all of our loved ones that have gone before us that's our hope. But listen, that's my hope. <laughs> if I die before Jesus comes and takes me, my hope is put me in the ground, not with tears. Oh, you may miss me, but not with tears. Listen, because that's not my end. That's my beginning. Amen. That's not my end. It's my beginning. I believe that. Do you? Amen. That's the truth. That is the truth. And if Jesus did not arise from the grave, we're in trouble. Well, I have many more things I'd love to say, but we're running out of time. And I want to be good, good steward of time. But Jesus, according to verse 32 in Acts, look at, look at Acts 2, 32. 
we're reminded there by Peter, it says that they saw him. This Jesus, God raised from the dead, which we are witnesses. And remember I told you that over 500 people at one time, believers saw Jesus Christ alive. 500, that's pretty awesome. And Paul says, finally, as one born out of due time, I saw him. I got to see, I got to put my eyes on Jesus. I tell you one day, I'm going to put my eyes on Jesus. I'm looking forward to that day when I can look my savior in the face, in the face. That's going to be an awesome day. Lastly, when we talk about Jesus being raised from the dead, I want you to think about this. That was his exaltation. He was crucified on the cross, went through humiliation, but listen, now he's exalted. Verse 33 of chapter two, look at it real quickly. Look at it. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this, which you now see and hear. Jesus rose from the dead and sits at the right hand of the Father. He's there today. Hallelujah. One day, he's going to come and get us, and we're going to be where he's at. Well, as Peter wraps up the sermon, it pierces the heart of a lot of people standing there. And, And this is sort of the conclusion, and that is the response. What is the response to Jesus' resurrection. Well, the response, we really find it in verse 36 and verse 30, through verse 39. Listen to it real quickly and we'll be done. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, listen to this. When they heard this, they were cut to the heart. No doubt the Holy Spirit being present and the Holy Spirit applying the truth of the resurrection to the heart of the people listening, drawing them to the Savior to be saved. And he says to them, and, or, excuse me, and, and, and they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the disciples, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter says to him, repent. And as a result of repentance, let every one of you be baptized for the remission of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit For the promises to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord God will call. Listen, if God calls, answer. Because he's calling for salvation. He knows your number. He knows how many hairs are on your head. He knows what your life is all about. And he's calling. I believe this morning he's calling some of you. The spirit of God's working in your heart. You're saying, you know, there's something that's turning my eyes toward Jesus that I've never been turned this way before. The good news is that he's calling. And when Jesus calls, you answer. Because what he wants to do is he wants to save you. You say, I don't need saving. I'm a good person. Now, remember, we talked about that. All of us are infected by the same disease called sin. And because of that disease of sin, we're going to perish and be separated from God for all of eternity. But that's the whole purpose of the life of Jesus, to come and to live his life as the Messiah. That's the purpose of his death, to bury your sin far away in the grave because he would be on the cross, shedding his blood, atoning for that sin. And listen, nailing it in his own body, bearing the price that you and I should have paid. And he paid for us. That's the purpose of the resurrection, to prove that he was Messiah, to prove that he was king to prove that he did indeed come to be the savior of the world. And maybe you need saving today. We're going to give you an opportunity. We're going to have a time of commitment. And we're going to give you an opportunity 
But you know what? During this time of opportunity and commitment is also a time for those of us who know Jesus, maybe to express a, a word of gratitude to Jesus today. Lord, thank you that you went all this way to find me and to save me. You know, we, we, we don't do that often enough, do we? And we really should this morning. Let's pray together. Thank you for listening today. And remember, you can find more information about Pastor Mike and the church at our website, www.fbclp.life.